In a world where everyone was forced to leave the comfort of their homes to get drinks, one hero emerged. Its name was Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, and it allowed everyone to compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits and get them delivered in under 60 minutes. All they needed to do was download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com to take destiny in their hands. Dun, dun, dun. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Today's show is going to feature someone who I recently met, which is pretty much how most of the episodes go. People I've recently met or recently talked to. And when I guess I say met, I mean, in this case, met them online. So much of my life has been meeting people in person, but also meeting people online, which has been an incredible deal. So fun fact before introducing our next guest is my online life really started when I met my wife, who I met through Match.com. And if I think about it and really trace it back, that was the beginning of me meeting people online and beginning to use the power of online to have stories with other people, create relationships with other people. And I've been fortunate that my first foray into meeting people online was meeting my wife. And then from there, it just became using other platforms to just network and create meaningful relationships or friendships and networking possibilities. And uh, I'm happy to say that over the course of well over a decade, it's been very fruitful and creating really wonderful relationships between other human beings. And today's feature is with Nick Corneal. And Nick and I met through LinkedIn, and Nick is in Canada. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot more of our Canadian friends on the show. Just wonderful people, great country, and just spending a lot more time connecting um, with people in different parts of the world. And currently, Canada is one of the countries that I'm enjoying, just learning about and connecting with people uh, from there. Uh, Nick is doing some really cool things in the fitness and technology space and I wanted to have him on the show to discuss that a little bit and his take on fitness, health and wellness and where we're at. We're in a really interesting time right now and Nick is someone who I think has lots of great insight, lots of data and lots of emotion in the positive way about the space. So I'm happy to introduce to you guys Nick Corneal. You know, I remember last time we had a, a fairly a lively discussion on kind of the health and wellness business, and I thought that was an area that was really interesting, like your take on a lot of things that are going on there. Yeah. So I wanted to really continue that, and based, based off what you've been seeing and even updated what's been going on, what's your take on where, I want to talk about wellness first, where you've seen wellness going, and maybe yep. how that's happening in Canada first, and how you've seen that maybe in the United States as well. Yeah. Well, you mean corporate wellness? 
just wellness in general, you know, it's such a big tag word now, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, everything's wellness. It's very celebrity driven to me, honestly, at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in general, in, in the whole wellness industry across like fitness, nutrition, everything else, there's, there's just so much noise and, um, and even more and with, with social media and all the other mediums that are coming out, more and more noise and people are kind of incentivized to try and, you know, put their noise out <laughs> into that space. Uh, yes. It seems that's the yes. uh, way it's going. Um, and whereas, you know, what, what I, what I'm trying to do, I guess, in my own line of work is look at what's coming next, you know, what the future, what the future of sort of fitness and wellness looks like, what, what consumers on the client side want, and then what the industry is actually giving them where that gap is. So, I mean, I, I personally think that there is a, a bit of a, an incongruency right now where consumers are, are getting so much access to information, whether it be you know, YouTube, bodybuilding.com, Instagram, like there's so much information out there for them to find. Um, and the wellness community is still just trying to sell things the old way they've been doing them forever in the brick and mortar way, but now just doing it online. So you have as many mm. people sort of screaming into Instagram and YouTube and, and it, <laughs> you know, their, their, their miracle diet or formula or workout. <laughs> the the miracle the day, diet. I love it. <laughs> well, the same stuff is still, you know, from the brick and mortar business, it, it still works. Um, people, people need a good, most people need help from the professional to get there. So um, to me, the uh, the wellness market's evolving quite a bit. Um, but that incongruency is that, you know, the, the professionals trying to help people, they just need a way of scaling what they do, their help, which is still mm -hmm. needs to be delivered in person. You still need a human being at the other end of it. Um, you know, to hold you accountable, to make the changes, to apply their own knowledge base to what you're doing uh, on the consumer side. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I don't see a lot of the stuff that you can kind of get on, on those new channels is much different than, you know, P90X and Tai Bo before that and whatever the fad was, you know, as, as we saw it in like the 90s and, and early 2000s. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, that's where I see the wellness industry going in a place where, where you know technology should enable professionals to have more more scale and help more people in the right way, um, but I still I still think it's uh, we're still going through this this you know sort of this uh, new gestation period of this new technology where people are kind of figuring out and just amplifying their noise right now through these different channels. So that's uh, that's kind of my take on it. Why do you think people are still selling it the old way? I mean, I, you know, I can remember all these like infomercials. I mean, they've been around a long time, you know, I don't know if you watched any of those recently. I haven't, but I think that's also a, a fact that I don't have cable TV anymore. I have like Hulu and Netflix and I'm just waiting for like some weird infomercial to pop up on my Netflix or something, or, you know, like Hulu and the commercials or something like that, you know? And why are we, why is it still being sold like that? What what do you think that is? It's just constant way of selling the same way. I think people are really slow to change. So I think it took people a long time, you know, the, the, when the fitness and wellness industry, you know, first kind of popped up in the 70s and 80s, took people a while to figure out the sort of two ways of selling it. One way being, I've got to sell my time, you know, in the sort of one-on-one -on -one way, or I've got to find a one-size-fits-all solution, like those infomercials, like those DVDs that used to get mailed out kind of thing. And I think yes. people still have, have that mentality. So with all the new stuff, rather than adapt, you know, and really evolve their business and how they deliver it, they're just looking at how to do it the old way, but through that medium to reach more people. And I find it amazing because the last conference I was at, which was focused on like fitness business, most of the other speakers, most of the other people that were talking, 
it was more about, you know, okay, you've identified your like avatar client and now use these mediums to get more of those people from around the world and then like mail them a spreadsheet or mail them <laughs> some videos linked in a spreadsheet or something like that. So it was still this very, the old way of thinking when, when technology is really changing, you know, how people, how people interact with that stuff. And um, I think on the professional side, we really need to rethink that and think about how do we actually give value out um, and not just sort of add to that noise, be some signal and, and really help people get to change as opposed to just buying our content. So I think obviously the bottom line drives a lot of stuff. And so people are looking at how do I sell more and make more money? And they, that's their, that's their, you know, that's their modus operandi. That's how they know how to sell. So it's just trying to think of how to sell more like that, as opposed to actually, you know, adopting and changing, um, you know, what the value of their real, of their business really is. How do you feel the selling aspect has morphed into things like Instagram, like Insta selling basically, and how people consume information? Well, I, I think it's 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 morphed in a bunch of ways. Again, like I think you, you see so much, and I look at all the fitness stuff on Instagram, and it's it's all a lot of the same thing. It's like motivational quotes, pictures of me like <laughs> doing my exercise, and like the more attractive Instagram models have more followers. You know, whether that's genetics that bless them with it, or hard work, or you know, mm -hmm. actually sound science behind it. Um, and I think that the whole, our whole, I mean, us as humans have evolved into doing all this projection online. And so that's just reflected in the fitness industry where they're projecting through Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. But I'm always amazed at how many of these people have like thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of followers. And at the end of their videos, they're still peddling like t-shirts and supplements. <laughs> that's, and that's where they're not, they're making their money off of like selling something else or someone sponsoring them like, check out this energy drink. They got me my workout today. You know, it's still more of that same old branding kind of, mm -hmm. kind of food as opposed to like scaling themselves and like their, their knowledge and their inspiration for what they can do for people. Yeah. I think I've seen that where it's, it's, it's like some, some energy drink or some protein based thing. And, and it's like the video is very curated and it's all like very glamorous looking and I don't know. I, I was just I was just interviewing somebody else in my podcast. I think I said something was probably not the best thing to say, but whatever. You know, it was, and I think you know people have millions of followers, these Insta Instagram models and stuff. I don't think millions of people are on there actually to get exercise advice. Honestly, I I think there's some pretty uh, underhand motives going on there <laughs> for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen it a little bit, a little bit uh, from some of the people I've talked to that have some followings on there. And and again, you know, exactly. I think that um, it's just kind of the human dilemma right now, a little bit on social, where you know everyone is perceiving this projected life from somebody and wanting that, you know, wanting to look that way, wanting to feel that way, not recognizing right. that it is it is an avatar that they're projecting as opposed to necessarily like their real life or. The work that we went in behind the scenes to do it you know it wasn't the energy drink that got them the six-pack um, <laughs> the like super strict diet and all the hours in the gym it slashed genetics you know um so i yeah i think there's i think that you know definitely the the you know the the business of things drives things a lot people just looking at the, the fastest way to make money to capitalize on their followings um as opposed to taking more of a long-term view at like how can i help the most people you know, and uh, there's there's pretty there's 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 very few realistically, and I'm I'm pretty blunt about this. There's there's pretty few influencers that are are really helping people in that direct way. Um, they help motivate, they help inspire, and I don't know how many of their followers are actually 
you know, following them for the fitness side of things. A lot of dudes. Let's be honest. There's a lot of dudes on there because they want to see hot chicks, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, that's that. that, Just be honest about it, man. Yeah, (laughs) that's the blunt way of putting it. Like I said, I've I've seen it firsthand from from friends of mine or or people that are close uh, who who yeah, you know, you look at you look at they put something out of them working out in the gym, and you know, you look in the comments, and most of the comments is just like you said, some some dude from somewhere in the world saying like, <laughs> "Hey, I want to train with you" or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Googly <laughs> eyes emoji or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, opposed to being like, "Hey, your workout really inspired me to go do more squats or something." You know, that's. No. The comment section. <laughs> it's the kind of the. Um, I read this really interesting article, and it was basically called the pornification of fitness, and how all of a sudden fitness has become. I mean, this is. I just like being open. Has become almost the new porn for people. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's you can call it whatever you want to call it, but uh, you know, there's just. Uh, I don't know a lot of reputable fitness people that are sticking their ass out pretty regularly. And shaking it around and, you know, just wearing tons of makeup or dudes who are just like, how do you work out like that? You know, you're worried about what you're wearing constantly. You know, you got somebody, some weird, creepy guy videotaping you regularly while you're working out. That's just strange to me. Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't think you can see squat technique very well from a low or below angle, <laughs> uh, which seems to be like where you shoot squats from, like down and behind. Yeah. You know, you don't really see the technique yeah. very well. Um, I used to see it, um, uh, my, like my ex-girlfriend going through her Instagram feed of all the people she followed and all the fitness people she followed. And it was like, I kept saying, you know, how much do you think that's from squats and how much do you think that's from something else, you know, or how much, how much do you think that like, how much, how much surgery went into that look compared to how much actual hard work and diet went into that work? Um, you definitely, I, I, I actually, I should check out that article. That sounds really interesting because yeah, you're right. There is, there's definitely that mix of things and it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder to break through that noise because there's, there's just so much of it now. Yeah. And it's, um, and I read it and I thought, man, this was, this, I think it just really hit me because I said, you know, I think there's America's always, especially the United States has had this really big emphasis on, you know, sex, drugs, violence, and the whole thing. And fitness is great. I love it. And you know what? I, I want people to do well, make a living and doing it, but I just think there's there's a point where it becomes it goes beyond the actual fitness and wellness part of it, and it becomes kind of a modeling aspect of it, and then it becomes be a lot more than that. It was, and, it was yeah, that was something hard for me to adjust to when I got into the fitness industry. So like like you, I come from an athletic background. You know, I was a football mm-hmm. player, and so I trained as a high performance athlete. And, and my mom ran gyms growing up, and she was very much on the wellness side of things, the health aspect of it, um, especially running a lot of things in corporate wellness. And then I got my first job at a big box gym and how much the aesthetic of it. And I just, I just assumed, I guess, that most fitness people were into it for perform, like for health and, fitness <laughs> and performance. And then you see how much of it really is that aesthetic thing. So I tried not to judge it. I tried to understand. Yeah, I've met some bodybuilders that are, are brilliant and, and, you know, really know how the body works and how to get certain results. But I was surprised at how much of how much of when I was selling it or the people working in it, it was just the aesthetic of it. And I'd always say, look, if you if you're if you're healthy and you're focused on performance, you know, then your body will respond in a way that you're going to still look good in a bathing suit. So, yeah, it was I was amazed at it. But I guess I had to adapt a little bit to understand, Okay, you know, people do have aesthetic goals and it's trying to, like, take those and put them in a context that is healthy. 
because if you start to really drive towards aesthetic goals and you're not reaching them and then there's a negative psychology that starts kicking in and you don't feel as good about yourself, you know, you don't feel as good as that Instagram model you follow, there's a lot of, of negative psychology that goes into it and, and as fitness professionals, we know for get, to get people all the way to goal and actual sustainable change, it's a series of like small positive you know, reinforcements, right? And this is why people right. like, don't just weigh yourself on the scale because that's not the only, that's not going to be good. You may gain muscle and lose fat and fit your pants better. So let's set a goal around fitting your pants better. Let's fit a goal around like doing a plank for a minute because that's the phase we're in right now, you know, and right. you, you have to find these little, the little cycle, you have to write down all the little goals and remind them of them frequently. And it's one of the challenges I find making software for this space is that, you know, we've really focused on how do we, how do we create as many ways that we can measure progress so the trainer can actually say to somebody like, hey, look, you may not feel like you've lost a lot of weight yet, but you're lifting 17% more weight than you were four weeks ago. And so people can actually see those little incremental changes so they can stay long term because that's what it takes. It takes, you know, it's a series of, it's a series of little positive psychological reinforcements that go the setbacks, you know. Totally. You know, it's, I feel like this podcast today is a very big continuation of the one I just had yesterday, which is great because they're almost like twos, but we were talking also about um, almost in a sense like athletic wear and like athleisure wear, how that's also created a huge influence in fitness and wellness. There's another article. I have to find these articles. I read them actually a long time ago. They're not new articles. Yeah. was basically how that the majority of people that wear fitness clothing, your Lululemon and all that stuff, uh, actually don't work out. It's, not, it's mostly non-workout people who are wearing that gear. And I felt that was so surprising when I first saw that years ago. But it's now become like an outfit for people. It's like I may not be to have doing fitness-based activities, but I look like I may be doing those things. It's, it's like the um, it's like what they say in the fitness industry where you call it like the, uh, the the fitness tax, right? Like somebody pays for a membership, but they don't actually go to the gym. <laughs> it assuages their guilt to say like, well, I've got that membership, so when I do get motivated, like I'm gonna go, and they keep paying the thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, eighty dollars a month, whatever it is. Because they feel guilty canceling the membership, but they actually don't go and go to the gym itself. And I mean, gyms have banked on that for, you know, for decades now as, as part of their business model. So, um, yeah, it's like they like I said, the guilt tax in fitness. And, and, and I think that, that the athletic wear is another one. You know, if I can wear a shirt that makes me look better or a pair of pants or something that makes me yeah. look more fit, makes me feel more fit, or at least it makes, projects that image of myself as being somebody who's fit. Um, as opposed to just, you know, like going and sweating in a gym or throwing some weights around or playing right. basketball it is that's going to actually, you know, get, keep you fit. The fitness tax. I'm pretty sure I've never heard that put that way before. I'm very familiar with how it works, but I haven't heard the tax part of it. <laughs> it's a guilt tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of people who are, are paying that tax. It's pretty it the whole, I mean, like the fitness, the gym industry is, is almost predicated on it, right? Especially the big box gym industry where you have, I, I can't remember the latest stats on it, but it's like less than, you know, 30% of members use their, use their membership on a monthly basis and even less on a weekly basis. Um, and gyms, you know, gyms bank the money off of that. And that's, uh, that's just a reality of the business model. So this is why they sell, you know, paid in full year memberships up front and <laughs> that type of stuff. You know, it, it's, it's just part of how they do it. Um, and then they try to tack, you know, personal training on as like the gravy, right? Gyms, gyms make their money off the membership. That's how they pay the bills. 
and then what they make off of training and the other sort of uh, the other amenities is where the profit comes from. And uh, to me, that's kind of backwards, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought like when I, I was naive, when I got into the industry, I thought it would be about helping people and about people getting to gold <laughs> and seeing progress. And when I worked in the first big box gym, I did like, none of the stats as a trainer that they measured. None of them had to do with client success. Not, not one of them. It all had to do with how, how many, you know, were you seeing your clients at least twice a week? You know, how much renewals were you doing and how many total hours of training were you doing? These are all bottom line numbers. It's all about how much money the gym's making and therefore how much I'm making and all the coaching is about, well, you want to make more money as a trainer, you want to make more money as a trainer, but there was no like bonus for, you know, getting somebody like letting, getting somebody lose a hundred pounds, right? Or right. Like, like other than if you had the before and after pictures, now you had another marketing tool, like to, to drive those other metrics that they measured. So yeah, there's a there's definitely some some incongruencies in terms of you know I think what uh, and and especially what people get into the industry for like I don't think people get into fitness because they're like I'm going to make a million dollars being <laughs> right right it's not it's an industry that's actually really hard to make six figures in um, they get into it because they're caregivers it's like the same reason people get into nursing like they want to help people they want to take what they've done and and share their knowledge or they just they like being around fitness you know you get some of those those fitness types who just like being yeah. in the gym they like working out and they like sports or whatever it is. And it's an extension of their personality in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to, and this is a big, you know, central part of the mission and vision we've got uh, with, with trainer plus, which is, can we make this industry more about results and, and give the type of tools to a trainer that lets them focus on results and focus less on the sales side of things and let, you know, that's where software, I, in my opinion, should kick in. It should, it should do a lot of that follow up in that measurement. And as, as long as we're measuring stuff and taking a more science based approach where they put the trainer back in their natural role as caregiver, you know, they're, yeah. I used to tell trainers that work for me, like, I don't want you to aggressively sell anybody. I just want you to aggressively care about people. Or I, I just say, you know, aggressively, you know, follow up or aggressively give a shit. Like that's what, that's <laughs> what well, and, and if I, if I'm going to make sure that as your manager, that we've got to make the tools so you can make sure you're doing that on a regular basis and you've got some systems for it. Um, but you know, you should never have to aggressively close. Cause if you don't, then they're going to see the value over time. And if you're continually there talking to people on a regular basis, you know, you're doing that. And that's that, that other incongruency is, is fitness professionals saying, well, you need my help to get to your long-term goal. We need to take a long-term approach to that goal, but I'm going to try to condense all of like, getting to know you, getting your lifestyle, measuring you, laying out a plan, giving you packages and selling it all into a one hour assessment. And it's, you know, it's like this, this pressure of all of this time pressure about this long-term need that they have for people. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some, some incongruencies where they, the, the business and the philosophy kind of don't mesh. They definitely don't mesh. I mean, I think we have a very similar mindset and I was running in a club for a decade. I definitely was all about aggressively caring about people and really just create meaningful relationships with other people. You know, go up to people, just get to know them, act like you're just trying to be friends with them. And you're just trying to be friendly and have a normal human interaction and, you know, learn their name. And over time, you're just chatting about a variety of different things that have nothing to do with health and wellness. And then people will start feeling close to you. They start feeling connected to you. And then it really has to be their idea. It can't be your idea to be doing these things. Once they internalize it, that it's their idea, then they're like, see, I made the decision to train with you. I did that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, good. It's you made the decision. Right. It reminds me of an experiment we ran a couple of years ago where we, where we kept asking people like, what do you want? Cause we were making this software for trainers. And then we're t- I was talking to all these people saying, well, what do you want? And people would say, oh, I just need some exercise or I just need a program. 
they like, you know, you're sure you don't need accountability. You're sure you don't need that program to adapt over time. So we started selling uh, just programming as a service. So it's like one session, a program, you track it in our software. The trainer just sees you once a month, keeps you accountable in our software, makes changes on a weekly basis. What was interesting about that experiment was after two or three months, people were actually adding more in-person sessions because they thought they only needed the program, but all of a sudden, two, three months in, they're like, you know what? I don't work as hard when I'm not the one session I train with you. I don't remember the technique. I don't remember what to do with my hands and my knees or whatever it is, like when I'm doing this movement. And so now they see the value in working more regularly with the trainer in person. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to do a weekly session or I'm going to see you twice a month. Yes. And we started seeing sessions added on, which I was so worried we launched a service like this. People would be worried about the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Like training, their training revenue. And it's like, well, no, people who are going to train are going to buy training. This is for that other 97% of people who don't have a trainer to get them something started. And then eventually they'll, you'll build that relationship. And over time, they'll see the value of seeing you more often. And then you sell them it in a, in a much more, you know, uh, passive way in some senses, but also in a much more like honest and value driven way. You know, Nick, it's funny. You reminded me of pizza and it's going to sound weird. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, you ever had just like really nasty pizza before? You're like, this is not good. Like, I'm sure you've had some bad pizza in your yeah, life, right? Yeah, yeah. You ever had some like amazing pizza? And you're like, wow, this is incredible pizza. You know, they like heat it to 900 degrees. You put it in that, that you know, that wood uh, oven pizza thing or whatever, you know, or especially United States, New York style pizza, delicious. Yeah. And you were eating that nasty pizza for a long time. Caesar's pizza, really disgusting. Uh, Really bad pizza. Up here again, it's pizza, pizza. Oh gosh, disgusting. But all of a sudden, once you start eating good pizza, you go, "Why was I eating that bad pizza?" And as training's a lot like that, you think, "I don't need anybody to help me. I know my own body. I know how to move my body." And then all of a sudden, I want that training program. Then the person buys a training session, and the tempo and everything is completely different than what they're used to. They're eating good pizza. And all of a sudden, they're like, I can't go back to eating Little Caesars anymore, man. I just can't do it. And I think that's for people. Is like, I've had that experience so many times in my life where I'm like, whatever, doing a certain activity. And I go, oh, this is pretty good. And then you experience the better version of it. And you can't go back to the average version of it. And I've, that has been with training my whole life. Once somebody has worked with my team or they've worked with me over the years, it's like once you start getting really good, something that's really good, whatever it is, you know, you go, man, I was missing out on this. And then all of a sudden they start ingesting that service over and over again because they're like, I, I can't go back to just walking on a treadmill every time I come in here. I just can't do it anymore. But people have to be, you got to pull them in somehow to say, hey, stop eating, you know, Little Caesars. It's enough of that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may, it's five dollars for a reason, you know. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or you know, in the in the same in the same vein, you know, there's a lot of people I've talked to who they bought the trading like out of again like out of a big box room or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I made that investment, and like for those, you know, and they, and they said, well, it was good when I did it, but then you know, I, I've gone away. It's funny you ask them about it, and they say, well, for those twelve weeks, like I worked really hard, but then, well, so why didn't you carry it forward? And they, they didn't get like enough of an education through the process to be able to carry it for themselves or there, there wasn't like a second phase of it. It was like, yeah. well, you're training and then it's nothing, you know, and then it's, you're on your own. 
Um, and so again, like part of part of what I do is try to make sure that you know people can have a more long term approach if they have other options for interacting with that trainer, if it be virtually and through their phone, um, you know, then at least they can continue that relationship and uh, and that the trainer can take that approach in how they in how they actually sell it from the, from the get go. I think you're right, though, with the incongruency, because it's something that I think, you know, new trainers come in and they're they're on fire to save the world. They like literally want to save the world. Yeah. And, you know, as you become more seasoned, you, you realize you're just you're trying to work and establish relationships with the people in front of you and help them one by one, case by case. It's very difficult to be like, hey, I'm influencing a thousand people, like literally a thousand people to be health healthy. And but then you have these monstrous box gyms or these super for profit businesses where like like Lifetime. I told myself on these podcasts, I'm just going to put it out there, man, because I know what's happening in a lot of these places. And because the fitness professional doesn't know before they start working at these places, yeah. you know, a Lifetime, they have this highly effective schedule. I've never worked there, but I know people who have. And where, you know, they get the manager gets called every hour on the hour to make sure that they're doing their job. How is that good for anybody? It's like <laughs> severe micromanaging and then yeah. ridiculous goals, selling things that are not good. But then what you see in social media is, oh, we're helping people. This is the lifestyle company. And it's not congruent with what's actually happening behind the scenes in their business. Yeah. And they know it and they can lie about it. But if you work there, anybody can talk about it. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Uh, there's so many things. Like, I have so many things popping in my brain. Of course they are. <laughs> like from like the big box gym I worked at, they put a big emphasis on selling tanning. And I was like, come on. Well, like as this is as all the literature is coming out about how bad tanning is for you. Right. You know, yeah. causes cancer, how it's bad for your skin and stuff like that. And they're pushing tanning packages as part of as an extension of training or having you try to do that because you have you made a cut if you sold a tanning package or whatever it is. And, and when I first managed a gym, it was a smaller gym, but. Um, and, and I have a good relationship with the guy who owned it now, but he'd come in after every afternoon and just say, okay, how many of these people from the list did you call? Right? Like <laughs> people walked in and like, it's like, what is that all you, is all you care about that little micromanaged thing, right? That little thing for me to keep following up on, as opposed to like, do you care about our, our member, like how our members are doing some of the progress we're getting, you know, what they're asking us for. You know, like the things that are actually going to make this business more sustainable, that's going to drive some stuff in the short term. But, you know, we need to pay more attention about what's sustainable here um, and making like changing the programming, changing how we sell, making sure we're like you never pick up the binder and see who should be reassessed. Right. Or who has right. like, you know, who, who is who didn't buy that, uh, how they're doing on their own or, you know, one of those things. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely this industry is definitely an interesting beast in that sense. There's a lot of. uh a lot of sharks out there with that stuff. And I think that's why a lot of trainers are trying to gravitate to, you know, having their own business or, you know, doing things more virtually or whatever, being in the software tech space, because they're just tired of being beat up by these corporations who are just treating, they're just bottom line statistics yeah. for well, that. It, right? Like even if you, if you work in a gym, they basically make you say, you know, they're only paying you for the hours you're training somebody. You're not paid for the right. unbuilt time in between. And they're making, but you got to go sell, sell, sell. And eventually, if you're decent at selling, you just go, well, why not just do this for myself and make all the revenue? Right. I, think I gave you these stats. Now, they're, they're a couple years old now, but um, the stats in the U.S., like the average cost of a training session at a gym is $56. The average hourly wage of a trainer is $28.84. And that's for people who also take all their at home 
when you factor in unbuilt time, the average wage is $15.88 an hour because of the unbuilt time and all the gaps in between. Mm -hmm. So you've got the gyms taking 60 to 65% of the revenue, trying to force you to sell more of your hour blocks. And the trainers having these long days where we're only getting paid for five or six hours of it. Um, it's a grind. And, and you hear, I can't, I've heard so many, at this point, it's hundreds of stories from trainers about that grind and how they don't want to do it and how eventually they either figure out to get, you know, to do their own thing because that's what you, that natural evolution is. Well, I'm going to have to manage all my own business and sell anyways. I might as well do it for myself. Um, and it's also why uh, training has one of the shortest career lengths in <laughs> industry. The average career of a personal trainer is less than a year. Career, not, not job. I mean, people get into wait, wait, wait. Are you serious? Yeah, the last time, and again, these are a couple years old in these stats, but the last time um, one of my former business partners crunched the numbers, the average career of a trainer was like eight months long. Career, you know, because <laughs> people get in, they're like, oh, well, I like fitness, I want to help people, and then they get into that grind, they're like, I'm out, you know, and, and I'm sure you've hired enough trainers who like, they last three months, they think it's going to be something it's not, and then they're out of there. And I mean, don't go wrong, there's lots of people that figure it out, and then they, and they make yeah. it last, people that do stick at it at a big box gym. But even those people that stick around for a long time, it's interesting how they evolve because I remember like seasoned trainers I'd have, like they wouldn't do an assessment unless they knew the person had a, you know, enough disposable income to go two, three sessions a week. Like they weren't taking a client unless that was the case, you know, and they knew they could just kind of cruise on that. Um, you know, you get, you get people get jaded from, I think, the values they come into the industry with when they hit the reality of the business. Wow. Uh, that number was staggering. I actually have never heard that, those, that number before. I know you're the numbers guy. You got all the information, man, about this stuff. I mean, that was that's mind blowing. Like, you're if you listen to this, and you're a trainer. I'm done, I've been in the business for almost 20 years. I've never heard that stat before. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. But you know, I noticed like being in the business, you almost never see an old trainer. It's very rare to see older trainers in their 50s, 60s. Now I've seen I've seen that's some. Their second career, right? Yeah. <laughs> they've gotten fed up i'm just gonna grab my charger unless they've gotten fed up with you know their their current job like they were right right bank, they're working in sales and then you know they had to they grind it out of it for whatever reason um and their second career is like oh i want to help people now you know because i don't feel fulfilled in that other job but um i can't take credit for all those stats my uh, i had a, a, a statistician based uh my first business partner was very statistics based and um what's really interesting is if you look for those stats in the fitness industry they're really hard to find um, really you really you have to like put them from different sources from like the bureau of labor statistics meshing with an ursa report messing with something else to mm. get to the reality of the industry it's there's not they're not sort of centrally located anywhere so i remember that that we and he particular had to do a lot of digging and 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 you know his academic background to pull stuff from different places to put some of these put some of these numbers together so um yeah <clears throat> it's interesting wow to try to look for it actually i have a um a future guest. Her name is Amy Ashmore, and she uh, she writes for Human Kinetics and things of that nature. And she's been um, an instructor, professor, in different universities. And and one of her things, she says, why the fitness industry has basically such poor job job opportunities in a sense because the colleges don't provide a pathway for people when they come out. It's yeah. basically like, okay, training is like a throwaway job. Well, you could just become a trainer, yeah. you know, and. There's no real set pathway of long-term career longevity when you leave college. It's kind of like people go, well, I'll just be a trainer to start. 
and then yeah. just kind of figure it out. But they never like go into it like this is my 20, 25 year plan type well, of thing. Well, the, the good trainers become managers or um, right. they start training and then they realize I can't make enough money doing this. So they go back to school and become physiotherapists. You know, you've got a lot of that. One of the things that was interesting up here in Canada was um, because, especially because our healthcare system is different. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you've got your private insurance, it covers, you know, covers secondary stuff like physiotherapy, chiropractic. There was a big push to see if personal training, because fitness is such a benefit, could get covered under something. And there was a fight between, okay, well, we're not going to, a person just gets a weekend course, we can't cover that with insurance. So maybe we'll give it the, you have to be a registered kinesiologist. And now I've had trainers that come from all different backgrounds. I've had people that came from kinesiology degrees or masters in exercise physiology who weren't good trainers because they might have had the, the knowledge base, but they didn't have the interpersonal skills. And I've had people who come from almost no education be amazing trainers because they've got those skills and they continue to learn and they continue to get certifications and, and educate. So it's one of the things I, I work on a couple of boards up here. Um, one is the Fitness Industry Council of Canada. I'm the only kind of tech guy on it. Um, and there's also a prescription get active program where doctors are writing prescriptions for fitness here. And, um, and we're trying, there's a big, we're lobbying the, the, the government right now, trying to see how can we get fitness professionals covered. And it's one of these, it's one of these ongoing discussions we're having with the government about, well, can we create a registry of fitness professionals? Can we create some objective ways of measuring, you know, or showing that even though they don't have a university degree, they've done the things that have gotten them to a level one, a level two, a level three. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if somebody has a healthcare condition, okay, we need someone with a certain education to deal with that. But for the general population, we want to see them get like a tax credit or get it covered under their private insurance. So it's an ongoing discussion here that, that there are the fitness profession and the healthcare profession are actually working together up here in Canada. Um, these two, these two boards, the prescription and active and the fitness industry council of Canada, um, shout out to all my all the people on on those boards that that I work with, <laughs> that are working really really hard behind the scenes for Canadians to try and see our government commit capital to this stuff and see tax credits and and see it get I think it's going to be covered under insurance first before we see it covered under our under our public healthcare system. But that's one of my like that's my one of my big goals. Um, wow. What I, why I work with these bodies and why I, I build the software that I do because I mean fitness is a top form of prevention. So I would love to see. You know, every Canadian get a fitness plan advised by a fitness professional covered under the healthcare system. We know we'd save dollars in treatment if we did this stuff in prevention, and that that's the most effective way of getting people to lifestyle change. But it's still it's still going to be a long a long fight of um, of proving that out, of getting the healthcare world around, you know, of of satisfying the insurance companies and and getting the white papers and all that type of stuff. Even though it's so intuitive for everyone you talk to, like even <laughs> we talk to the politicians and they're like. Yeah, that makes sense. If everybody was fit, we'd save money on healthcare. But how are we going to do that? You know, and the how is the really the really tough question. I think uh, Canada will get there before the United States. I'm telling I, you. One, so. you don't think so? No, I think that really, I, it's it's one of the really interesting things about what I do because I think that we we have that we have that that more socialist mentality for sure. And but the problem is that you need so many people, so much buy-in from so many people. Whereas what's happening in the states is the private insurance companies, who are the ones paying for treatment, they know the dollars they spend on prevention will save them money on treatment. So I I I used to think, come on, and I say this to Canadians, I'm like, come on, we can be the first country to do this. We should take the lead here. We're progressive. We've got all these things. <laughs> come on, let's do this, Canadians. 
But uh, it might be the free market forces may drive it faster in the States with the insurance companies realizing it. I, 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 it's a great race that, I, that I'm loving being a part of. And, and uh, the, you know, the Canadian in me love to say we're going to do it here first. But uh, <laughs> the businessman in me who knows the size of the American market relative to the Canadian market and what, how our software and how our business fits in it hopes that, hopes that the States will move on it first because um, that will be best for us. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. You always got the information. I think that's um, it's kind of been the great, almost the holy grail in the United States is how do we get this cover covered by insurance? And I've had mixed feelings about it because sometimes even when you give somebody something and you say, hey, you know, this dance is free. Everybody can come to this dance. It's a free dance. Sometimes people want to go to the paid dance instead. They go, oh, the free dance might not be so good. You know, it just depends on your perspective for that. But I'm just curious about it in, in the sense that I just think it's a, it's like the wild, wild west out there, man. You know, it's pretty crazy. And there's so much lack of regulation. I don't know if you're familiar with the United States. There's been all these, at least legislation has been trying to get past licensed trainers in each state. And they've run into a lot of issues with that because a lot of the certification bodies are the ones that are fighting it, actually. And, you know, I think that's a really rough thing when it comes to that level of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely the battle that's that's ongoing. It's just like the, I get the certification side like they want to make money. It always comes back to money all the time. You know, they want to make money. They want to recertify trainers. What's the value for them in having each state have its own licensure for trainers? And almost you'd have to consolidate all of the certifications into one major certification that covered the entire country. And I don't think the certifications have any desire for that to happen. No, there's too much, too much infighting there. Yeah, and yeah. I just... Too much infighting in that sense. You know, you've got... Uh, you know, yeah, the, the, everyone's trying to get their piece of the pie um, and there isn't a centralized body for it, you know, um, or there isn't, a, a, you know, a coordinated body for it. This is like the, the central debate that I have with what we're doing, where um, I think that before the traditional grassroots way of doing it is going to win and take fold, I think that data and content is going to get there faster. Like that's the that's the bet that I've hedged on with with Trainer Plus. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing some traction in corporate wellness where companies are starting to pay for fitness content for people and subsidizing like online training as a starting point. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I really think that that technology and, and that and tech and data, data and an evidence based approach will get there faster than one of than these traditional ways of thinking about it. I mean, there's there's big differences in the industry that start with those certifying bodies. I mean, the kind of the 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 not so well now not as well known or not as well kept secret in Canada is the biggest certifying body in Canada is also owned by the biggest chain of gyms in Canada. The same right. people that own that own the two certifying bodies. So um, people in the industry have kind of recognized that, and a lot some people in the industry it's okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, the big certifying body does a pretty good job. It's a pretty decent education. It's, it's recognized around the world. I work with some people that work in that, in that certifying body, and they're fantastic. But um, the people 
that aren't part of that biggest chain of gyms, you know, which is the fourth biggest in the world as well. Anyone who's not a part of that chain of gyms, they don't like that setup very well. And there's a big movement of people who are trying to sort of take it back and make it more objective and start things like the IC reps, which started in, I think, Australia, New Zealand, which is international council, um, mm -hmm. representatives for exercise. And, and um, so you're trying to get like an objective nonprofit body that actually is the one that is going to say, okay, we'll recognize that certification, this certification and that certification and try to have a centralized registry of exercise professionals. And that's what the IC reps people do. So there's a movement in Canada to do that and sort of take that out of the hands of the for-profit um, certifying body that's owned by the biggest chain of gyms. So you do have this kind of counter movement in, in Canada on the certification side that's happening. And so there is people, you know, good people trying to do it. Obviously, the people that have maintained that status quo for so long are, are resistant to that change. Of course but, but but they're but they're you know they're coming around and they're they're also participating in some of these industry wide things and so there is there is some movement the the head of the FIC is a guy named Scott Wildeman he's really pushing hard um, to stay neutral in things and get the Canadian industry working together collectively because mm -hmm. I think we've recognized that if we work together on these things we're more likely to get the outcomes that we all want like things like covered by insurance or even you know stuff and stuff from our healthcare system whereas in the US i mean it's really fragmented still you've still got you know you've got the sort of four or five major certifying bodies um, they all kind of do their thing um, there's a little bit of differentiation between them whether they focus a little bit more on the healthcare side or a little bit more on the group fitness side or a little bit more on the strength and conditioning side um, so there's a real fragmentation there and i don't think you're going to see I think it's going to be a while before you see something sort of a central movement to bring them all together. I, I just think that everyone's self-interest is going to is going to kind of trump itself there. Um, so I think that's one that's one major difference um, in terms of how the how the industries work. Realistically, Canada is a few years behind the U.S. Uh, we always kind of lag. The market always lags a little bit, you know. So stuff that's happening now and changing the market in the U.S. will kind of make its way here to Canada. Couple of years later, like we're just seeing the big, the big boom of the of the boutique uh, group fitness classes, series and F forty fives and berries and those guys. They're ju they're just now like popping up everywhere across Canada. So, um, you know, I think that you know, and, and I know that was a couple of years ago that the market kind of got saturated in the states. So, um, yeah, I think you that's that's another I guess kind of major difference between the two. Um, and then I think the uh, the insurance and healthcare systems really play themselves in in a big difference as well. Um, you know where where our, our public healthcare system, and then you've got the private insurance system that covers physiotherapy, chiropractic, you know some of those other things, uh, and 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 uh, also pharma, pharma, pharmaceuticals. Um, so it's it's like I said, I I'm, I have the debate of who's going to be able to move faster, given your guys' private healthcare, where it's the same insurance companies are are, are covering have to pay for treatment and so they have a little bit more incentive on a, on a dollar side to see prevention but it's with so much fragmentation it's going to be hard to see like one certifying body you know trumping all or or saying that you know you're going to have a certain level of education is going to get recognized over something else so um you know i really think uh, and again this is like the the, the the bet that i've kind of hedged on i really think that it's going to come from something else um i'm i'm hoping it's something like trainer plus where if we can, you know, have a more objective way of measuring a trainer's performance and the outcomes that they get, and we can, you know, we can can take a more data-driven approach and a more evidence-based approach. And it's the reason why the healthcare world kind of likes what we're doing because we're trying to enforce like a best practice on the on the trainer, 
um, so that like you know programs are changed regularly, reassessments are done regularly. We're taking more measures of progress that aren't just weight on the scale and how many dollars are paid on sessions. Um, so I mean, I, I really think the solution lies in technology making trainers more effective at what they do, and then measuring those things properly, and us focusing more on outcomes, um, uh, which is which is what it's going to take and. To do that, and the second part of that is that um, people have to have more affordable options. So not everyone's going to be able to, to purchase the time. Like those stats I said earlier about the $15.88 an hour. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, if you see people selling more ways of interacting with a trainer where they can make money on their downtime, that's one way that you'll see the price of training per hour come down, the hourly rate, or that the cost of engaging a trainer will come down for the average person. Um, but I still think you need to see it subsidized by insurance or healthcare to still keep it at like a good a, a, above livable wage for the professional or where you can actually make it a lucrative job um, where it's a little easier if you're really good at it to make six figures. You don't have to be a celebrity trainer, you know, right. or pedal or pedal supplements on Instagram to make six figures, you know, where you can do it by helping a lot of people achieve their fitness goals. So um, I think that that's where that's, you know, that the solution kind of lies somewhere in there. Um, you know, I could throw more, throw more numbers at you for that one. Um, you know, I love the numbers, man. I love them. Along with that, but um, you know, I, I just, I, I just think that that's, you know, that that's what we need to be doing is taking a more evidence-based approach, taking a more scientific approach, have some sort of new objective way of measuring a, a trainer's actual output. You know, um, and some people suggested like, you know, like an Uber score for trainers where there's just sub, some subjective rating. Huh. But not, that's not going to be enough. You know, people I don't just, think so. My trainer five out of five stars. Well, no, but if, if your goal, if if you have some sort of trainer score, which we're trying to do with with like with with AI eventually and with algorithms in our back end, is if you have a way of measuring like this person had a goal like this, and this is how successful this trainer was at helping them achieve that goal. And that's gonna be a matrix of things. It's gonna be a matrix of things from you know making sure they're doing the right exercise, making sure they're getting the right nutrition support. Which you know, unless you're a qualified trainer to do that, you should be pushing them towards like a good diet. Exactly. The right, the right matrix of professional support to get there, um, but also the thing that people, you know, kind of discount is they need the, they need the support. Like the trainer has to be good at, you know, timely follow up, communicating, right. and giving them the right motivation, whether that be carrot or stick, you know, depending on the personality. So, um, I, I think we'll get there with technology and with data, um, and and then and that that'll probably get there faster than we see like a certifying body win the battle, you know, or, or something else like that. So, um, but, but where I kind of started this rant was cost effectiveness. Like you have to have options for people that start at a few dollars, if that's all they need and range to the hundreds of dollars it costs to engage a trainer, um, or ways of getting more help today where I need it in person and graduating to less help over time, but spreading the cost out over that, over that period. So it's something we suggest to a lot of trainers, like, you don't have to stop selling one-on-one -on -one training. You could sell like two times a month for the first month and then one time a month for months two and three and then twice a month for months, you know, four, five, six, and seven. And if you spread the cost of those sessions out and you know you've got a, a, tech, a tool in the background that's going to ensure that you can continue to deliver value and, and that you have an incentive to educate people towards that, um, I think that works. Like we try to encourage everyone to if, if, you, if most of your goal of your clients is they end up in a programming relationship because you've done enough of a good job at getting them to their initial goal and educating them enough on the technique and, and getting them into that lifestyle change mode where they're going to their gym regularly because they've got that intrinsic motivation, 
that's like a good goal to have, you know? And so you get the people who aren't ready yet or can't afford it yet, pushing them towards that relationship. And the people that start in a more in-person relationship, being able to graduate to it, um, I think more people will get help that way. And we'll see something like, um, you know, you've got 2.4% of the population that works with a trainer, right? And over right. 97%, over 97% doesn't. And it's, it's pretty low, even gym members, and there's about 17 to 18% of the population that's gym members. You know, and so all these new boutique gyms and everyone else, they're all just competing for that same 18 percent as right. opposed to the other 82 percent of the world that needs help. And the other that's going to come from, you know, reaching out in new ways, using technology to engage that population in a new way um, and actually, you know, getting them moving and then seeing the value and finding what works for them um, from the support of a human being, because nobody feels accountable to an algorithm at the end of the day. So, of course, of course, you know, it's interesting. I was at an ACE presentation at URSA one time, and I think it was Dr. Cedric Bryant, um, they're one of their executive officers there, and he was talking about a lot of the research that they've done, and a lot of the research that they've done is indicating that basically the industry is just making fit people fitter. Yeah. It isn't helping other people, actually. So it's like these the people who are enthusiasts and they love fitness, they're just consuming more of it, and not the other percentage of people are just they're having nothing to do with it. And I thought that really hit me pretty hard. This was years ago. I saw this, yeah. but you, do you still think that is the case uh, with what's happening? Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's getting worse. I mean, the more that I talk to gym owners um, and managers who have run a traditional business, they're finding it harder and harder to sell memberships and to sell training. And the reason is because that, that boutique popped up down the street and that 18% of the people in this geographic region now have more options. Or quite frankly, like it's right here, like they're getting it, you know, yeah. if, if they're already fit, then they're finding a program on YouTube or they're finding it on Instagram or, you know, bodybuilding.com or one of those places like that. So the fit population now has many more options and many more resources to go to. And so it's just become way more competitive for those already fit people. And, 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 you know, I, again, like that, like I think that conference I was at back last month where it's much more of like, okay, now use new tactics to get those same people through your door. Or even the people that are selling programming online, someone has to be pretty highly motivated already and intrinsically yes. motivated. Um, and they've already got to have some working knowledge. Like you can't just give somebody a program with squats and deadlifts in it if they've never lifted in the gym before because they're going to hurt themselves doing it, you know? Um, yeah. It's the reason CrossFit's hit that like downslope now, you know, because it, it, of, of the, 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 the counterculture that came to it the, the, along with the culture that kind of came from it. And like I, it's, um, I was at a, a conference a couple of years ago where one of the, one of the top like high performance um, people here in Canada spoke about the injuries that are really common in boot camps um, and especially in women where, you know, if you, unless you've got a good stable knee, there's a lot of things that are going to cause like MCL tears, ACL tears, right. doing like split jumps or step mm -hmm. up in rapid way or something like that, just because of the physiology and the, diff the physiological differences between, you know, a man and a woman in terms of femoral angle and yes. like hip, yeah. hip width, femoral angle and stuff like that and the strains that you put on the knee. And so seeing what the most common injuries that were coming from at the time it was CrossFit and, and now it's all these other boot camps too, where people just want to jump into boot camp because it's affordable, but. <laughs> You know, you're going to, unless you've done the stuff to prepare your body for it, you're going to be hurt. So the question is, is where does the duty of care come in? You know, and if we, if we as an industry want to be taken as an extension of healthcare as prevention, then we've got to start having that attitude towards that and not just let dollars be the bottom line driver. But I, if we're realistic, you know, you also have to, people have to 
make a living doing this and make a profit doing it. if they're running a business. Nobody's going to trade four quarters for a dollar at the end of the day. So there's there's a there's a there's a blend there, and I really believe technology is going to sort of unlock that that matrix. But uh, the industry needs to sort of rethink its rethink its values a little bit in that sense. What do you you know? I want to go backwards just slightly. What what do you make of the this the tremendous rise and kind of the downslope of cross, CrossFit? Uh, you know that whole kind of revolution of that happening and and where you see it going at this point. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it's been like in in the states. I know that another like a rival um, of one of the top CrossFitters has has now made a rival of it that takes more of a a sort of staged approach and a variation based approach to it than the sort of all out, you know, the CrossFit was, um, I, it never, it always struck me as kind of off to be honest with you when it first yep. came out and I started hearing people and they were going and I think there were some really, there's some really great things about CrossFit. So maybe I'll start there before I bash it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very functionally focused, you know, there was more functional, yeah. the, the group attitude and the positive motivational things that came around with it. I know a lot of people that had struggled to stay committed to something, but that community kept right, them there. Right. It also, it also was a good way for people that, especially for women, um, instead of having to have a, 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 the mindset of this certain body type you had to have um, you know, from, from before, now people started to embrace it like, oh no, I lift, so I'm, I'm somebody who's, I might be a little bit bigger, but it's, but it's okay because I'm strong. And I think that that was some of the real positives in it, that it, that it helped, it helped um, people accept different body types and body images a lot more. It was more accepting of a lot of different totally. body types than a lot of the other fitness stuff that had come before it, for sure. Um, I think where it kind of went off the rails was the culture kind of got ahead of itself, right? Where the attitude of like, go no matter what, and you started seeing people popping up like, look at me doing deadlifts nine months pregnant. And like doctors like, that's horrible. Like that right. is really, really against <laughs> Or like I'm doing deadlifts in high heels, or look at how many kip ups I can do, even though I've torn my rotator cuff. So there's, uh, I think the um, it, it got kind of ahead of itself in that sense, and there wasn't enough of that precautionary, you know, build to it, provide different variations, have enough coaching to get kind of people there. And I think that's where a lot of the negative, the negative things um, about it started to creep into the general, the general culture of it. And, and I think that's that CrossFit's kind of. I don't know if it's, I think a better way of putting it is kind of leveled off, I think, in a way. Yeah, I, don't know, I, think so. I don't know if it's declined, um, but there definitely aren't, aren't, you know, you don't see new CrossFits popping up everywhere anymore. Um, and, and you see that, you know, they sort of, I think they've saturated the market and you have people kind of come in and out of it. But um, I think there's a lot of positives in it. And I think that, that some of the negative stuff's kind of, kind of cut up to it a little bit, um, especially because uh, there's just so many movements in it and so much of the way of approaching it that was unsafe and that, that was going to cause injury in the first place, which is counter theoretical to that whole like duty of care, taking right. a health based approach to, uh, to fitness as opposed to just a, a, uh, an aesthetic based approach. Well, I think you're also, at least what I saw in the United States, you're getting a lot of these boxes, um, popping up that were basically fans of the, of what they're doing. were creating the boxes. So, you know, it's basically like, Hey, you know, I did it. I did CrossFit, so now I want to have my own box type of thing. And then I know they were, you know, having different certificate CrossFit one, level one certification and all this stuff. And I always question, I'm like, what's the credibility of these certifications? I don't, who's teaching it? What's the curriculum? I think the science mind of mine, the academic, academic mind of mine was like, I need to look at this a little bit deeper. 
yeah. on that sense. And I think a lot of people, you know, general public, they're not looking at it that way. They're like, oh, I'm going to get this certification. It's going to be awesome. It makes me an instructor of what? <laughs> like, of getting a workout of the day from somebody and then like pushing yeah. people, right? So, yeah. So it was just interesting. Um, it was more of like a lot of fandom. And I, and I see it's kind of like what you said earlier and certain people getting in because they just love being around exercise and working out. And a, a buddy of mine, we always call, we call them, we call them hobbyists. Like they'll teach like 20 group X classes a week. You know, they're just maybe just doing it because it's fun. It's not like their career. It's not their career. It's just what they're doing. Like you said, it's their second thing they're doing. They don't really have to work. They're just doing it because they just love fitness and stuff. And I think it kind of caught some of that wave. And now I'm seeing this very gigantic step into this picture where the big gyms are now like they got hit upside the head by the boutique gyms. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So now they're basically trying to house boutique gyms inside gigantic commercial facilities. That, that, that was all the talk at Ursa this year, right? The next right. Week, I'm going to have this big facility with five different boutiques in it. So you've got a CrossFit thing, a yoga, Pilates place, a, a regular gym. You know, yeah, I, I've got a Group X class where you can put your heart rate monitor and, and you know, you do a my zone and see yourself on the, on the, uh, on the thing. So that's definitely the, the wave that has hit the States and is, is on its way here. Um, you're seeing some of them pop up now. There's one, one brand that's growing pretty fast here in Ontario that is doing actually an excellent job of it. They have beautiful facilities in what they do. And it's not, it's the price point's actually pretty reasonable for how much you can get for it. But, um, but yeah, no, that's definitely, you definitely see that now. And I, I now question, you know, people ask me about like the, the, the boutiques, the, the, um, you know, the sort of what I just call like a boot camp with a heart rate monitor, um, <laughs> you know, and, and how sustainable those are. And, and I, I question that. I think it's a neat fad. I think that mm -hmm. if, at least with the heart rate monitor, you're, you're measuring something that is somewhat health related. And so you, you are saying like work within this certain zone. Right, and right. Reminds me of like back when my mom was an aerobics instructor, like, <laughs> she, you know, how she used to always pace her like step classes and stuff too. Um, so at least there's some, at least there's some health-based science there that goes along with the boot camp, and you see more functional movements. You see more stuff of like people flipping tires and pushing sleds and right. more functionally based. So I think it's sort of that next evolution, and and it's good. But again, I I'm not sure, you know, how sustainable it is. Does somebody go to the same boot camp class for more than three months before they get tired of it and they're looking for the next thing? You know, how long? You know, how long does somebody stay at those things? Is it something that they can do for? five or 10 years, or is it something people are going to kind of dip in and out of? And that's pretty difficult. I mean, I don't, I don't know the numbers on that, but I, I, I worry about a lot of those programs where it's kind of a, you know, a plug and play where you just come in, you're doing the same thing over and over again, and you feel great about it for a while, for many months. And then how does that catch up through the years approach of it? Are you going to continue to come in and just punch the clock basically over many, many years? I, I don't know. My guess is I don't think so because fitness is pretty funny about creating new things or supposedly new things and wrapping it in a different box and going, oh, this is the newest thing. Yeah, I'm sure it goes against like your principles and like the principles I used to have when selling fitness to people because they come and say, oh, I'm just going to do the group classes. They say, well, but a group, you need, a, you need an individualized mm -hmm. plan to go along with the cardio and the flexibility work and the stability work that you need to do overall to get to the goal that you've set. Or else you're going to plateau because if you just jump into burn, 
you know, mm-hmm. then you're going to hit that homeostasis pretty quickly. Yes. And you're going you're gonna to plateau. And if you start plateauing and not seeing gains, then that negative psychology fits in. And they're, now we're falling off the lifestyle change model. And so I always used to say, like, a class is good. A couple of classes are good doing that group thing. But you need an individualized plan that goes with it, which is it's funny because when Orange Theory first came to Canada, I approached the owners of it and said, listen, I've got this software and here's, here's what I think would be great. People come to your Orange Theory classes, um, you know, they come twice or three times a week, right? They got their Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday Orange Theory, but you've got, they had really good trainers who they, who they when they first came here, I don't, I can't, I don't know now, but I know when they first came here, they, they got really great trainers who they hired, they paid really well. And these trainers, I, I kept meeting a bunch of them, I said, why don't you sell programming? So you tell them like, the other days of the week, like you can go do the strength program that goes along with our boot camp, and you guys can use our software to like sell this hybrid of like a boot camp with the strength training that's individualized around the person's goals and needs, so that they won't plateau. And they kind of like were like just you know oh no like we just want our boot camps full every week like you know that right. was that was the biggest thing is how can we fill our boot camps up every single day and every single hour? That's what we care about just selling more of those boot camp classes, even if it's like. You know, the three of them a day are full and the other ones struggle to get more than three people in them. Um, so it, it's, you know, I, yeah, the sustainability of it. I mean, from the from the fitness professional standpoint who does take a scientific approach, you just you know that people are going to continue to sweat and burn. So if they're already have reached their goals and it's about maintaining, sure, you're going to do yeah, that. Of course, you know, you'll keep it up. But if you're somebody who has like either weight loss goals, fat loss goals, if you've got. Um, and like sustainable fat loss and not just like I'm going to burn the first 10 pounds and then I'm going to struggle for the next however many. Mm-hmm. So um, sustainable weight loss goals, even goals on gaining size, gaining strength, even if they're aesthetically based goals. Like you know that program's going to have to change every four to six weeks and keep adapting until you get to a point where you're in maintenance. And I'd be really curious to see what the numbers are like behind, you know, people that start with those goals and where the fall off rate is. I w- I doubt it's much, it's much I doubt it's any longer than, than 12 weeks um, for, mm. for who's not already in a maintenance phase. And again, it goes back to what you just said, like how much of these are just getting the already fit people more fit. It's a better mousetrap for them as opposed to addressing the other, you know, 80% of the population that's sedentary. That is the population that is killing our healthcare system in Canada as they age. <laughs> and, it's, and it's making healthcare costs higher in the States yeah. and the market, you know? So again, like, we as an industry, I think we need to rethink this, you know, and, and think about how we activate the sedentary people in a very smart way, um, as opposed to just trying to sell a better mousetrap to the people that are already fit. That's very interesting. You know, it's, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but um, there's some pretty interesting research related to essentially an exercise pill. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Okay. And uh, it, ca- it caught me off guard pretty hard the other day. It was actually on uh, Freakonomics Radio. It's a pretty good podcast. And it, the, the headline was the zero-minute workout. I said, I got I to gotta check this out. I don't – what is the zero-minute workout? You know, I'm curious, you know. Yeah. And so the host comes on, and he brings on all these very big scientific minds and across the United States and um, scientists who are working on this pill. Um, now, disclaimer, the pill is not an exercise pill. 
they've used it on rats and stuff like that, and it has increased their cardiovascular endurance a little bit. You know, and yeah. you know, you can't have something that mimics all of the incredible um, aspects of fitness and wellness in a pill. It's not happening. There's two. There's hundreds of factors and 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 um, just react can you know reactions and things of that nature and, and catalysts and all that. It's just very difficult. But um, they have seen some improvement on it. And it was a very interesting discussion about what does this say about us that we're even thinking about this? And two, they had a bunch of behavioral psychologists on saying, you know, let's say that this thing was halfway decent. Are you now licensing people to go, I'm going to take this pill. I'm good. I really don't have to move anymore now that I'm getting this. And it's a real slippery slope, I think, that scientists are actually trying to do this. <laughs> like, you know, because they're big money in it, probably. Huge money if it was even somewhat effective, you know? Yeah, well, we're so short-term focused, right? I mean, like the same stuff has worked, um, you know, just if, if you just look at how we've evolved as a species and, you know, where, where we're and how much, how much that's changed even in the last hundred years as people have gotten more sedentary and, and moved less. Um, you know, if you've ever read Sapiens, um, where he talks about, uh, you know, back when we were hunter-gatherers and yeah. how much we had to remember, just how much our brains had to remember, let alone how much we had to move and be physical. And, like, so there wasn't as many incidents of, you know, heart attacks and other things that are, that are killing us off now at, at a higher rate in that sense from being sedentary. Um, but it's, it's such a, it's such a short, it's a, such a short-term fix, you know, and, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a pill that's going to fix that or there's gotta be, you know, if you're going to raise your metabolism in an artificial way, there's <laughs> things that are affected, that are affected from it. Like if you see people who've taken fat burners for a long period of time and how it messes their metabolism up in the long term, you know, there's just, there's, uh, at some point in time, we got to accept that there's, there's the only like quick fix is, is making you know, making people more, making proper fitness more accessible mm -hmm. to people, making fitness professionals, you know, uh, more effective at what they do and more accessible to people and more affordable um, and making it more of a profession that more people want to get into and because they can make a decent living doing it. It's not, it, there's not an easy, there's not an easy solution to it. It's going to take technology. It's going to take a change of mindset. Um, I think when we, when we spoke, I used the, the blockbuster analogy, which is one yeah. that I've become my favorite love it love it which is like um when, when i look at all these things that are coming out these days and uh just yeah real quick like blockbuster when netflix came along said you know hey i don't um no one's ever going to want to get dvds in the mail like everyone knows the blockbuster story no one's going to want to get dvds in the mail netflix starts mailing dvds blockbuster waits 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 and then finally decides okay we're going to do this online thing and start mailing dvds and then netflix comes in with streaming and block kills blockbuster and I see a lot of what the fitness industry is doing now is just they're mailing DVDs. You know, it's yes. sort of like I'm trying to find that one size fits all, but through Facebook now, um, or I'm trying to find more one hour at a time clients that I can sell through Facebook or Instagram, you know, um, as opposed to actually like adopting at, at becoming a streaming service for fitness. And, and that is how do we scale what we know works, which is working with a fitness professional over a long-term plan because okay. One, accountability and motivation, and two, applied knowledge. They know what you should be doing today and how it needs to adapt over time based off how your body reacts to that stimulus. So, you know, that's how do we make, how do we make that more affordable and accessible? I think that's, a, that's the better question. How do we get content and support, you know, stream through technology um, as opposed to just, 
um, the next pill or the next one size fits all, you know, the next, the next, uh, whatever it might be in that sense. Well, it's interesting in this, um, knowing what I know about you now and kind of your, uh, our similar brain for in information and science, I think you would really like, um, some of the stuff they have on that show because it's a lot of science. And especially they had an episode with just all behavioral scientists and they did a huge basically story on how they were trying to solve the problem of people exercise. They, they looked at it like this big scientific equation, like how do we get people to exercise more? And they threw like the best minds from what they're saying at it and they failed miserably at it. <laughs> it was really like crazy. Just look at some of the populations that aren't, aren't as obese as some of the more developed countries. I mean, again, like I think the I think Mexico might, might actually have taken the crown now, at least for childhood. Yeah. And that has as much to do with the, the foods and the type of foods that are, are readily available um, at a cost effective way. Uh, but the UK and the U S and, you know, Canada to some, to, to a large extent too, where there's, there's obesity problems. Um, but, you know, like in, in Europe and other European countries, they're not as much, but, they actually, you know, they, they don't necessarily like do massive shopping at a Costco. Um, they right, they right. Walk, and, walk and bike more places and drive less, you know, um, there's some cultural things and, and other, other countries um, that, again, like in, in, in the developing world that where people just have to move more because that's part of life. Um, so I think in, in some ways it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those traps of, of, um, of, uh, of cultural evolution where you make things too convenient and too easy and you know the counter to that is 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 what we see happening now. But um, I, I don't. I mean, I, I love Freakonomics, by the way, because my my education's in economics. And reading reading Freakonomics first time, I was like, oh, if someone finally has like yes. in a context that like is is usable and applicable. Um, but I, I mean, again, you can throw all the great minds at it, and it's just like just get people moving. Get if, people moving. Yeah. Much bad stuff, you know, like. <laughs> It, 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 I mean, this would not wouldn't, would be way it'd be a ways away in the states. But my my brother, who's who's like a vegetarian and and he's he's you know kind of a hippie in his own way, um, has a sustainable construction company. We talk all the time, and he doesn't understand why. Like you know, why isn't organic food like subsidized? You know, and non organic mm -hmm. not or or you know, and like you think about like the the uh, the soda tax in in New York and how much of an uproar that caused. Right. Free market capitalism in the U.S. Uh, but you think about like, does the here at least you know, the public health care, it's like we've got some incentive to make sure people are eating right. So we're not killing our healthcare system. So should right. we think about some ways of incentivizing that in a, in a way that we're like, at what point should, you know, the government step in or should yeah, be right. sort of cultural factor that pushes people towards, you know, not just doing it like the, the analogy, like my brother deconstructs buildings, right? So, because the amount of waste that goes in from a, from demolition is, is insane. It's way more than anything else. Like the amount of like plastic straws, there's some analogy, like the amount of plastic straws we have to save compared to like three demolitions of a house. It's like the equivalent of all the plastic straw waste, you know, that happens in all of Canada, like just demolishing four buildings does that kind of wow. thing. Like there, There's these incongruencies about the challenges that we decide to take on when I don't, to me, to me, there's some, there's some more simple answers, like get more people moving and eating right, make sure they've got access to the support because they need, you need people to motivate you to hold you accountable to get there because of the psychology of how humans are. Right. So, you know, what's interesting, I think, is, 
I'm very fascinated by the whole, you know, Netflix killed Blockbuster. And it just got me thinking, I mean, I don't know that this is happening or going to happen, but it makes me think that our increase in technology, in some way, there's the online, the programming, the virtual training. I wonder, is that Netflix for gyms? Is that going? Now, now I don't know on some level, is, is will there be a point of a singularity where, I mean, people still go to gyms and stuff, but is it more be going to become an everywhere gym versus just a brick and mortar gym all I the time? So. That's my whole business philosophy, right? Like the whole, right. point trainer, whole point of trainer plus. And this is a debate I go through all the time because I'll be honest, the industry is so slow to change. And, I, and I've been at this for four or five years now, kind of beating my head against the wall, trying to say, hey, guys, like there's a better way of doing this. Like I'm, I'm giving you the tools so that you can help more people instead of just trying to do it the old way. And there's a point where I have to decide whether, and my business partner and I have an ongoing debate of whether we we stay as a software company or we pivot into becoming a service company, because you know becoming a company where it's a facilityless fitness company, we've got the professionals right. who are qualified and they've got the tools to engage and give you a program that fits for you. You're the type of person that likes to go to a big box gym. Awesome. Here's a program for that. You're the person that wants to work out at home using your staircase and you know like the the bag of flour mm -hmm. you in your cupboard. Awesome. Here's a <laughs> You're in a rural community, so you don't have access to a facility. Okay, here's a program for that, and we have the right fitness professionals who give you the exercises to get you to what based off of your goal. And I mean, I I still have I still like am, am idealistic enough to hope that the industry is going to like take our tech and kind of go there. Mm -hmm. uh, but more and more, we're getting pulled the other way because the world of healthcare and, and corporate wellness is saying, hey, give us this now, like give us content that we can give to employees, give us programming that's affordable. And like, so what, what we try to do, you know, my bias admitted now, what we try to do is tell people like, hey, there's six ways that you can engage somebody for content and support. And they have different price points on them and different levels of engagement for the trainer. So I think it's having that, that array of engagement where people can move up and down the level of service that they need at the time. And we need to take a more long-term approach to supporting somebody for fitness. Um, the same way a doctor does, the same way a physiotherapist does. You know, you've got acute needs, you sprained an ankle, you go and see your physiotherapist, right, for that, for that treatment. You know, same thing, you've got an acute fitness goal, maybe you scale up the amount of involvement and training that you do, and then you get back to a maintenance phase. But I, so I think that, that, that singularity that you talk about or, or where, where, what, the, what the streaming version of fitness is, I mean, I'm literally trying to create it and we're trying to educate trainers to kind of take that approach, like mm -hmm. rethink, like just change rethink. it a little yes. bit. And trainer, like when you tell a trainer, hey, if you do this properly, you can help everyone you talk to. So the conversation changes from can they buy training or if they're gonna buy training from me to what are they gonna what of what are they gonna start with? Like how can I help this person instead of if I can help this person? And I think if we can change that 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 way of doing business, provide enough options, get people started with something and have that regular conversation. So, oh, you think you just need some exercises? Here you go. But if in 30 days, I talk to you and we follow up and you're not going towards your goal, you're not getting it, then let's talk about option B and C and D. So I think it's going to take that change in mentality um, and then having that, 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 more, that wider array of options from like training or program where you're on your own, you know, right. or right. You're, you're fumbling around in the noisy wilderness of YouTube <laughs> and find something from somebody who like you're attracted to so you think that you want to do their yeah. Pretty much. I mean, pretty, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very into technology and thinking about it. And I remember like VCRs, you know, and I remember 
you know, DVDs to a certain extent. And you just see how one technology kind of deletes the other over time. Yeah. And and how like, you know, cabs, I used to take cabs when I lived in Las Vegas. And then as soon as Uber came out, I literally stopped taking cabs, you know, and then all these other the cab companies were so upset that Uber came along because they sensed they feared the end that it was going to engulf what they're doing. And I always think about it from fitness. I'm like, what is that? What is that Thor hammer in the fitness business? That's like going to swing. And maybe it'll it'll never be that, but that has a huge enough impact to create a smartphone level of change. You know, like smartphones have transcended socioeconomics. Like there's people who literally have no place to live, but they have an iPhone 10. You know, it's like once you've got to that point, you've reached like critical mass. Like it's affecting all people at that point. And I wonder how do we get there in fitness, you know? I, I, well, again, I'll limit my bias, but uh, Trainer Plus, I mean, that's exactly yeah, what that's we're, all right, pump it up. <laughs> I, I, that's, I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do, right? Which is, which is, we want to empower good professionals to help more people and provide more accessible, more affordable options for it. And and it's um, it's funny you bring up Uber because it's an analogy I'm using more and more in sales, where you know you run into these gyms, these trainers who are like, yeah, well, I still like, I want to just have more people come in my boot camp or in my gym or something mm-hmm. like that. And we've we've started, you know, I had a conversation this morning with 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 uh, one of my one of my sales sales guys who's, who's doing this with gyms, where I've started saying, like, you know what, you can just say to people, like, this is what we're doing. This is where fitness is going. Like, we're trying to create the future of fitness. So we recognize that people are consuming it on their phones, whether you like it or not. Right. Your members are consuming it on their phones. People are consuming it on their phones. And it's more accessible there. So if you're ready to make this, if you want to. If you see in your next 12 months, you know, in your next 12-month roadmap that you want to start delivering more mobile options and you want to change your mentality, I'm going to help more people outside of the walls of my gym as a way of getting more people into my gym, maybe. But as I, it's more to focus on, like, how can I get my knowledge out to more people and my support out to more people as opposed to just how can you sell more of what you've got today? Then you're a fit for what we do. If not, if you're just looking to sell a program online with nutrition and programming all in one, or you're looking to use it as a give some people just a little bit of content to get more people into your gym, then you're not a fit for what we do. And when you're ready, come on by. But if you're going to wait, then the, the future of fitness is going to happen. And it's going to pass you by. And it's it's a it's a mentality that's that's been hard because again, I'm so idealistic. I want to try and help mm-hmm. like the whole industry change and evolve. And I realized I thought when I started this that I was just one step ahead of people. That like oh, the fitness industry just needs the right tool. Then they'll go out and start selling service like this. And then we got the tool out and realized, oh, okay, maybe people just need the tool and some education. And I was maybe I was I was two steps ahead. I wasn't, you know, and then mm-hmm. so talking to them like, hey, you can use this to go after the healthcare market and the corporate wellness market and ha- helping more people that aren't ready to get a training yet. And then now, as we go through this new debate of continuing to move a, a further step, as we release our, we're releasing a new app called Fitness Plus, which just has workouts and exercises and content that we curate from trainers that people can pay a premium subscription to and then request online support. And the next step of that is when they request support, we say, here's three levels of online support you can get from a trainer. Which trainer do you want? Let's set it up and roll. And you have an ongoing conversation about moving up or down service. So we're, you know, I realized, oh, maybe we're actually a couple, we're three steps ahead right. of waiting for the industry to catch up. We just kind of have to do it. 
And so the Uber analogy that we're now using is like, do you think that, do you think the taxi drivers, when Uber came around, like as a fitness person, and you realize that this is where training is going and the service is going, are you going to wait until other, other people around it, have you have done this and taken the market? Because if you wait too long in two years time, like the taxi industry did, every, you know, people are going to be yeah. using Trainer Plus, hopefully, you know, they're going to be using Trainer Plus and they're going to be getting their fitness content and support from the Trainer Plus platform. And you're going to be left with trying to sell more boot camps still. <laughs> well said. Well said, Nick. Well, man, I tell you, I knew I wanted to have you on the show, man, because you're like a machine of information. Like you, you just really bring it. And I think these, these are some of the more intelligent discussions that, and, and very discussions I wanted to have. You know, on our show, we have a variety of different discussions. And I wanted to get a little more hardcore fitnessy based information, science, industry trend information. And uh, you brought a tremendous amount of it. I knew you would. The minute I talked to you before, I was like, this is the guy. He, he knows. Well, that's what happens when, I mean, I grew up in it, so I've got a, a real passion for it. And uh, I guess my approach has always been, um, you know, I worked in it. I watched my mom work in it. I worked in it. Right. And then my background is economics and philosophy and looking at, you know, then you get into the tech industry and you start thinking about, a vision for where the world's going to be. And, and so um, I think I'm a lot of where those things kind of collide, um, where like business, economics, philosophy, and kind of fitness kind of collide and technology. And then how does the technology happen to make it, make it, make it so. So um, yeah, I guess my, my goal over the next little bit is like, how do I get uh, out of, out of just having these conversations one-on-one -on -one with trainers and getting some of this messaging out um, to the rest of the world and, and let, uh, let some of the passion that I've got kind of, get out there um, so that we can we can start uh, helping more more fitness professionals and, and ultimately helping more people um, get fit at the end of the day. Certainly. And I know that, you know, we have a nice size audience now and I have a lot of connections in the business, you know, trainers, gym owners in the United States. So I think this will be a good platform for people to listen. They'll get to know you a little bit better and your knowledge. And uh, nothing makes me feel better than helping my colleagues become more successful or at least be somewhat of a tiny assistive device on the way up for, for their success. So it's been a pleasure, Nick. And um, just thank you for allowing me to have some of your time today. Oh, thanks, man. I, 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 you know, pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I appreciate our first conversation and, and any chance to sort of, uh, uh, you know, as I've told my social media people, like, just get, get me in front of a camera. Let me talk about this stuff. Yeah, man. <laughs> Usually that does well because we've been in a bit of stealth mode for the last couple of years. But uh, it, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, some of the questions were just great. And, um, you know, I, some of that higher level philosophical stuff, um, you know, just more about like the species and evolution of where we're going with this stuff and how fitness fits in. Uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours more about it. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating yeah. Fascinating too. Well, thanks, man. Listen, you have a good rest of your day and we'll be in touch for sure, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right. Later. Cheers. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.